This is the Daily Signal podcast for Monday, January 4th. I'm Robert Bluey. And I'm Virginia Allen. Happy New Year. We are so excited to kick off 2021 with you all today. We have an excellent show planned. We're kicking off the new year talking with Dr. Carol Swain. She's an award-winning author, host of Be The People podcast, a political science professor, and the vice chair of President Trump's brand new advisory 1776 commission. We talk with Dr. Swain about the commission and its mission in America. We also read your letters to the editor and share a good news story about a couple of NFL players who gave one little boy the ability to run this Christmas. Before we get to today's show, Rob and I want to tell you about a great way to keep up with the news you care about. We're at the top of a new year, and maybe one of your New Year's resolutions is to stay more informed on the issues facing our nation today. And one of the best ways to do that is by signing up for the Daily Signal's morning bell email. Each weekday, The Daily Signal delivers the top news and commentary directly to your inbox for free. You'll be able to read about the policy debates that are shaping the agenda, analysis from Heritage Foundation experts, and commentary from leading conservatives like Ben Shapiro, Dennis Prager, and Cal Thomas. It's easy to sign up. Just visit DailySignal.com and click on the connect button in the top right corner of the page. We'll start sending you the morning bell tomorrow. Now stay tuned for today's show, coming up next. I am so pleased to be joined by Dr. Carol Swain, award-winning author, host of Be The People podcast, political science professor, and the vice chair of President Trump's brand new advisory 1776 Commission. Dr. Swain, welcome to the show. I am so delighted to be with you today. We spoke in June of 2020 on the Daily Signal's Problematic Women podcast, and we talked about the time in history that we're living in with violent riots taking place you know, across the country, of course, for, for much of 2020, and this rising anti-American sentiment, which is really being furthered by things like the 1619 Project. So could you just explain a little bit of the mission of the President's Advisory 1776 Commission and how you see this commission as a tool to really push back on some of those uh, anti-American sentiments that we're hearing about in the nation? Well, the commission itself uh, is situated in the Department of Education, and the goal is to educate young people about our nation's founding by starting with 1776, the year the Declaration of Independence was signed. And it's so very important, not just for young people, but for all Americans to read the Declaration of Independence and to understand how it has impacted our nation. And at the time the Declaration of Independence was drafted and signed, uh, slavery existed. Women did not have the right to vote, but those principles uh, that were embodied in that document, they became the vehicle that undergirded our constitution as well as uh, our nation in a way that made change possible. Now, those founding documents, it, it's so 
critical that we recognize those uh, as not only kind of being this foundation for our nation, uh, but we really, you know, in, embrace them and think about them of, okay, how, how do we incorporate those kind of almost into our daily lives as Americans thinking through what, what do those mean for me as an American? And of course, that plays such a big role in schools and really incorporating that curriculum. So it's really exciting to see the president take such strong action in this area. Uh, and we're, we're going to continue to talk about the commission uh, in greater depth in just a moment. But before we do that, I want to ask you to share a little bit of your own story, because you do have an incredibly powerful story. In many ways, you've lived the American dream. Could you share a little bit about how you grew up? Well, I've definitely lived the American dream. I was one of 12 children born and raised in rural poverty. And my my mother and father were divorced at an early age, so I never knew the time period when my mother and father lived together. I had a stepfather. The relationship uh, between my mother and stepfather was very abusive. And the poverty that I experienced was a grueling type of poverty where for part of my life, there were about nine of us living in a two-room shack. And the house, it was really a shack, had no indoor plumbing. For the early part of my life, I slept on the kitchen floor with some of my siblings, and we did not have proper clothes. And so when it snowed or when the weather was really cold, we stayed home from school. And there was one winter that was particularly bad that we missed 80 of 180 school days, and everyone in the family, all the school kids, failed because we had missed so much school. But through it all, you know, my mother never encouraged us to see ourselves as victims. We would have qualified for free lunches and free school books back then, and she would not take welfare. Now, she later relented and took welfare, but when I was growing up, she had that Protestant work ethic, and my stepfather, he worked uh, as a farmhand, and there was not, uh, I don't know what his wages were, but it couldn't have been very much. And we sort of lived like, in a way, like sharecroppers in the sense that this uh, place where we live, this land that we lived on, the owner had a store and we would have to go to that store and the children would go to the store with a list to get credit, you know, to ask for stuff. And back then, you know, 25 cents, and this was like the 60s when I would have been old enough to go to the store. You know, you could buy, you know, bread, you could buy bologna and cheese and pork and beans. And these were like treats for us. But I can remember going to that store and having the store owner said, no, you know, your stepfather hasn't paid his bill. You know, no, no credit, no, no food for you. Wow. <laughs> and so it was uh, so different from the poverty that people complain about today. The other thing is I was born in 54. That was the year of the Brown versus Board of Education decision that desegregated schools across the South. But it was 68 before schools were desegregated in my part of Virginia. But I watched the changes take place with the 1964 Civil Rights Act, the 1965 Voting Rights Act, the 1968 Open Housing Act. And as a child, I was very interested in watching the politics that were taking place on television. 
And and it's so interesting, but we were poor, but we did have a television set. Hmm. At one point, we had a television set and we had electricity. But I saw opportunities open up for people like me. And even though I dropped out of school and married at the age of 16, so I probably dropped out a couple of years before I married and had my first child by 17, I was able to get a high school equivalency in my early 20s, go to a community college, get the first of five degrees, graduate with the honors from a private liberal arts school that was predominantly white, and earn five college and university degrees. And I ended up becoming a professor at Princeton. I got early tenure, and I had a very uh, successful career in academia. My career, uh, you know, led me through full professorship but then I had a Christian conversion experience. I became more conservative. Uh, in 2009, I officially became a Republican, and I can say that my life changed dramatically. The more conservative, the more Christian I became, the less value I had for the academy. What was that drive in you? Because I, I think so many people would look at your life circumstances and you know just kind of say, well, you know, that's it's not possible to you know, achieve all of those degrees and kind of come out of this, this really hard place. But you have you you've done it and you've done it with grace and you've done it with boldness. So what what was your mindset through all of that? I've always had a can do mindset. And I give my mother credit today. And I can tell you, if you spoke to me 15 years ago, I would not have given my mother credit. And if you spoke to me 20 years ago, my mother was the villain of, of all of my stories. Uh, I'm close to my mother now. She lives with me. But I was I always had a sense of urgency and a belief that there was something I was supposed to do. And now that I'm a Christian believer, I really focus on Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, plans of good and not evil to bring you to an expected end. I believe that God foreknew me and that uh, God has always been a part of my life, even though I did not know him. So I, do, I believe that uh, my footsteps were ordered. Many of the people that came into my life that encouraged me, because I never had an interest in becoming a university professor. I didn't see that happening. They were not uh, believers. They were not Christian believers. Many of them were Jewish. Some of them were atheists. Most of them were white men, conservative. And when I hear people call conservatives racist, and, uh, and all these things that they tell young Blacks today, in my experiences in academia, it was the conservatives that pushed me, encouraged me, and made me believe you know, that I could do anything. And I maybe I wanted to believe it because I never saw myself as handicapped because I was Black, I'm a female, at parts of my life I was a single mother, and I just never saw myself as disadvantaged and when I got to graduate school, that's when I was flooded with those theories of oppression, you know, the critical race theory. Uh, I did not study it, but I was exposed to it. But by then it was too late. I had already tasted success and I had already formed my beliefs. And so it could not stop me. But if I were someone who had internalized the messages that have been sent out to young people about victimhood, I'm not so sure I would have worked as hard as I did. And I worked hard as an undergraduate in the four-year college. 
I was working full-time nights and weekends at the community college library. So I started off as a work-study student. I was hired by the library to work nights and weekends. And I stayed on that job about five years while I finished um, two degrees, the two-year degree and then the four-year degree. And when I finished uh, my bachelor's degree, where I graduated magna cum laude, they dissolved the job at the library and hired two people because I moved to another city. Okay, wow. Dr. Swain, I, <laughs> your story, it, it just, every time I hear it, I, I'm just kind of taken aback by, wow, just the, the drive you have. And like you say, it, it's so evident that the Lord did order your steps through all of that. Uh, but your personal determination is incredible. And I think it, it just speaks so powerfully to, like you say, kind of having, growing up with a mindset of, oh no, I, I can do that. I can achieve great things. So when we think about the mindset that we're instilling in the next generation, what do you see this 18 member 1776 commission really playing in in reaffirming to the next generation of Americans that this is a nation of opportunity and you know as an American you too are not a victim and you can achieve great things. Well, first of all, I hope the 1776 commission continues regardless of what happens uh, with the outcome of the contested presidential election, because if if Joe Biden is president, he could eliminate the commission with executive order. But I can tell you that we are determined that there will be a report, and that report, you know, will really much educate people about the importance of the founding and the truths that come from the Declaration of Independence. And right now, I can't speak for all the commissioners. I can only speak for myself. But I do know that there is a commitment, there's a love for America, and um, and that we will, you know, take advantage of the opportunity that the president has put place before us. And I also want to say something about President Trump. Please. I really admire him so deeply. And I identify with him and people that know me, like we, I don't, you know, I, I don't call people names unless I have to. So I don't identify with uh, that part of his personality, but I know that God chooses people before they're born. He knows what kind of personality that they're going to have. And he uses uh, how they're made um, for his purposes. And what I love about President Trump right now, as we uh, are recording this interview, is that he is such a fighter uh, for uh, for truth, I think, and, and principles. And people have lost sight of principles. And what I would like to see uh, come out of the 1776 Commission is that we remind people of values and principles that our, our founding fathers, and I call them my founding fathers, um, were willing you know, to risk their lives, to die for. Uh, we don't have that fighter spirit anymore. We have a defeated spirit. And so the people that have encouraged the president to concede you know, the election amidst all the evidence of voter fraud, and I'm speaking as a political scientist, I've followed everything very closely, and I am appalled by what took place in the 2020 elections and how race was used because the Voting Rights Act 
was never meant to be twisted on its head and all of a sudden to ask people for identification or to uh, ask them, you know, for signature verification or proof, you know, of citizenship, that that is voter suppression. What I see is the progressive left using racial and ethnic minorities to advance their agenda. And President Trump is bold enough to speak out. And And unless we get the election reform in place, and get to the bottom of what happened in 2020, um, then our nation is doomed. And I'm hoping that enough people of goodwill of both political parties will want cl- uh, fair and free elections. I keep wanting to say clean uh, <laughs> and fair elections, but there's so much corruption. And if we don't address it now, it will get worse. Yeah. I think for me personally, I feel like 2020 was the year when Reagan's famous quote, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. That hit me in a whole new way this year. And you realize, my goodness, that is the truth that we truly have to fight for freedom. And the integrity of our elections is at the very foundation of that. So as as we look forward to 2021, um, you know, what What would you like to see from Congress, both in terms of, you know, looking at the integrity of elections at a state and federal level, um, and then also just, just as a conservative, you know, what are the priorities that you really hope that they focus on? Well, first of all, I don't know what the Congress will look like uh, in 2021, but I would like to see Congress committed to the well-being of the American people, which would mean that Democrats and Republicans both would have to move away from their uh, agendas and look at what's good for the whole. And I think that until the Democratic Party awakens and realizes that it's been taken over by progressives that are Marxists, there's no hope for that party. And then the Republicans, I am dismayed by Republicans. And there's a part of me, I am a Republican. I want to be a Republican, but I'm more of a Donald Trump Republican. If there's such a thing as a Donald Trump Republican, I am because I don't like the deep state. I don't like these people who are afraid to fight for values and principles who roll over. And I believe that the Republican Party, uh, the leadership, It's full of weak-kneed compromises, people that are not driven by values and principles, and they are backstabbers. Uh, They don't know how to operate as a team. And no matter how corrupt uh, or, or immoral that some of the Democratic leaders have proven themselves to be, the Republicans act in such a way that they are not, um, they're just not behaving in a responsible manner. And I think that if they don't get it right, that they will find that there may be a split, like what happened in 1850 and the Republican Party may go away and there may be another party. I think we will always have a two-party system, but it doesn't have to be this Republican Party that doesn't have an identity. It doesn't know what it stands for. Its leaders are all weak. And I would like to see a constitutional amendment that would, um, for term limits, 
uh, if we can't continue to have the same people in Congress year after year after year, they become so much a part of the system that they're working for themselves. They're not working for the American people. Well, and of course, you know, every every year is a fight to maintain that freedom, but it certainly does feel like 2021 uh, is, is going to be a, a big year for our country where we are making hard decisions about how do we want the future of America to look. Dr. Swain, you have uh, done so much, so much writing and just wonderful, wonderful research uh, on some of the subjects we've talked about today. You have an excellent podcast. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about how they can find and follow your work? Well, first, I want to say to you that when you mentioned Reagan's quote, like, when people like me speak to Young America's Foundation or the various groups uh, that are working with conservative youth, we always say that quote. And you're absolutely right that now we see the importance of it. And I'm hoping that an army of young people like you, and some of them are already out there, some of them in the White House, uh, that you will do a lot of the fighting. And I believe that the older generation that we have let you all down, but I have confidence in your generation. And I believe that um, we you know, can stand together, but at the end of the day, there's so much at stake. And we do have to recognize that we can't take America for granted. We um, at the point that we could lose our nation as we know it. And we see how quickly coronavirus, how they politics around coronavirus has been used to strip us of our civil liberties, and that's not acceptable. And so that's uh, a concern I have. As far as myself, I've started a new show that's a YouTube and Rumble show, and Rumble is a new video platform called Conversations with Dr. Carol Swain. And the show started about four weeks ago, before calling yourself a doctor became controversial, <laughs> but I am a doctor. And so that I'm doing as well as my podcast, Be the People. And I'm posting a video and a podcast interview once a week. And then for Bot Radio, I do a two-minute um, vignette called Two Minutes to Think About It. And so I do that. I'm working on a book. I have a 501c3. I am so busy. I'm doing more than is humanly possible, but God gives me the strength to continue. And I do it because I love America and I love the American people. And I'm really fighting hard against the diversity, equity, inclusion industry that uh, has turned America upside down uh, and, and, is, and is engaging in reverse discrimination. I believe they're violating the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment, the Civil Rights Act, and it is reverse discrimination against white Americans. And I'm urging other uh, minorities to stand up and speak up because we've reached a point where uh, people are being bullied and shamed because of the color of their skin, which is unacceptable. And it's unacceptable to do it to black and brown people. It's unacceptable to do it to white people. And I think that's something that if you have a Biden-Harris administration, it's going to be much worse. I am hoping that we will not have a Biden-Harris administration. I'm hoping uh, 
that the uh, Supreme Court and people who are in authority will stand up and will investigate the election fraud that took place in 2020, and President Trump will serve the second term uh, that he was elected to serve. Dr. Swain, truly, we're so thankful for for leaders like yourself who are speaking out with such incredible boldness. Like you say, you're keeping yourself so busy, you hardly have any time. Uh, But as, as a young person, thank you for everything that you're doing for being a powerful voice and for being for being bold. Uh, it's really encouraging to see such uh, such leadership from people like yourself. And thank you so much for your time today. Just always a pleasure to have you on the show. Do you have an interest in public policy? Do you want to hear some of the biggest names in American politics speak? The Heritage Foundation hosts webinars called Heritage Events Live. These webinars are free and open to the public. To find the latest webinars and register, visit heritage.org events. Thanks for sending us your letters to the editor. Each Monday, we feature our favorites on this podcast. Virginia, who's up first? In response to my piece, Trump announces members of commission focused on teaching youth about America's founding. John writes, thank you, Mr. President. By the time Generation X grows up, the kids who were allowed to be born will need all the help they can get to recover from the hundred years of indoctrinated hate for America. That's right, Virginia. It's so good to hear that the president is doing that. And our very own colleague, Mike Gonzalez, is a member of that president's commission. And in response to Chuck Donovan and Genevieve Plaster's commentary, at 10 years old, the Affordable Care Act is aging badly, Slick writes to us, I lost both my doctor and my health insurance. My doctor of 25 years quit because of the added paperwork and the cuts in the Medicare reimbursement paid to him, something around a 40% cut. Being self-employed, I bought my own insurance. It was not great, but it was what I could afford for my family, and it cost me over $600 per month. Obamacare made my policy illegal because it didn't cover everything the law mandated. My new policy had just as bad co-pays and cost me $1,700 per month, $20,000 per year. It got to where business income declined, and I just couldn't afford to stay out of Obamacare. It really served its purpose of trashing the healthcare industry. What's required to fix the healthcare of this country is to get the government out of it. Your letter could be featured on next week's show, so send an email to letters at dailysignal.com. Americans have almost entirely forgotten their history. That's right, and if we want to keep our republic, this needs to change. I'm Jarrett Stepman. And I'm Fred Lucas. We host The Right Side of History a podcast dedicated to restoring informed patriotism and busting the negative narratives about America's past. Hollywood, the media, and academia have failed a generation. We're here to set the record straight on the ideas and people who've made this country great. Subscribe to The Right Side of History on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Stitcher today. Virginia, you have a good news story to share with us on this Monday. Over to you. Thanks, Rob. It's great to be kicking off the new year with a good news story. Eight-year-old Jackson DeLude had one wish at the end of 2020. He just wanted to be able to run and play with his friends. Jackson was born without fully developed legs. He has prosthetic legs, but he was not able to run in them or keep up with his friends like any eight-year-old boy wants to do. 
The Buffalo Bills, Gabriel Davis and Matt Milano heard about Jackson and they thought they could help. The two football players are from Florida and spent a part of the offseason of 2020 training at a facility in Orlando where children and adults are fitted with new prosthetic limbs and then trained on how to use them. It did not take the players long to decide that they would fly Jackson and his mom down to Florida from New York to be fitted for running prosthetics known as blades. Gabriel Davis told the Bills that he wanted to help Jackson after witnessing the challenges individuals face who have lost or were born without a limb. And you just don't realize how blessed your life is and you only got so long to live. So if you can help some kid's life, you know, this early, knowing you have the ability to, why not do it? Because you can change his life forever. Davis and Milano talked with Jackson on a Zoom call shortly after he was fitted with his new running legs to find out how he liked them. Monday. How does it feel to run, bro? How does it feel? Great. Now I can, uh, when I get back to school, I can keep up with my friends and participate in stuff. You might be faster than you gave. <laughs> That's all because of you guys. <laughs> Davis and Milano also treated Jackson and his mom, Ashley, to a day in Disney World, an experience Ashley says was totally unforgettable as her son experienced the magic of Disney for the first time, running and jumping in his new blades. What a wonderful story, Virginia. Thanks so much for sharing that. And we're going to leave it there for today. You can find the Daily Signal podcast on the Ricochet Audio Network. All of our shows are available at dailysignal.com slash podcasts. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. And be sure to listen every weekday by adding the Daily Signal podcast as part of your Alexa flash briefing. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review and a five-star rating. It means a lot to us and helps us spread the word to other listeners. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Daily Signal and Facebook.com slash The Daily Signal News. Have a great week. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Rob Bluey and Virginia Allen. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.